Welcome back to the In Search of Liberty podcast. It has been nine months uh, since our last episode, and boy, a lot has happened. Um, It's been an interesting year in every way imaginable. Um, We've obviously been quite busy uh, with our personal lives, just as you all have. Um, And today is January the 7th, um, and you know what that means. Yesterday was a um, difficult day for our country, and we're just getting back together. Uh, Today I've got with me Jeff Franks, lifelong friend, uh, and just like you guys, uh, we've been talking about how this has affected us over the last several months um, with issues with the election, and we thought we'll just get together and have a conversation, and maybe it'll be uh, helpful for us and helpful for you. Uh, and just have a forum for discussing the issues of the day. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. And exactly what you're just saying is it's kind of interesting. I had a conversation um, just yesterday with someone else on social media um, about the fact that conversations are something we're not having anymore. Uh, it's It just seems like everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be right, even though we all know that everybody can't be right all the time and everybody can't win all the time. So, um that's the reason I'm really excited to be here and really excited to try to start this podcast uh, uh, up again and, and get things going and, and maybe be able to carry this thing further. Uh, if, if we have any kind of audience all that's out there that feels like us, we might be the only two people that feels this way. I have this gut feeling that that's not the case. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things where I have some very, very dear friends uh, that I've worked with in the past and that I've known for years that are extremely opposite side of the political spectrum for me. And we can have very good conversations and we do have very good conversations and we learn and I've learned from them and I understand their point of view better. And uh, I think I've helped them understand my point of view better on a lot of things. Um, But it just seems like that's going away. I mean, those friends are still friends and still having those kinds of conversations, but even on Facebook or any form of social media, if I make a comment, going the opposite direction of maybe something that they've posted out there. And I don't necessarily, I intentionally don't go after people in those, those situations. I try to just say, well, but what about this? You know, you say, you say this in a very blanket statement now, and, and I just like to poke holes and, and you can do that if you're extreme right or extreme left, uh, you put some sort of a blanket statement out there and it just makes me want to poke a hole in it. And, and what about these things? You, have you thought about this? And um, in today's world, that is seen as an attack. And um, that's not it at all. I just want to let's flesh this out. Maybe you're right. Maybe maybe your meme out there is good is good for that, uh, but maybe not. And uh, you know, the last 24 hours, as you said, since we've done the um, since we've had the the Capitol being uh, taken over by protesters uh, last night after the uh, electoral college votes had started, and uh, you know, you never know what the truth is uh, until it all settles down. But it, it's it's definitely it's split the country again. It's just one more thing out here that has made people, you know, jump immediately to their uh, polar positions. And they're having these, you know, fights about who's right, who's wrong, those kinds of things. And um, it's just not good. It's just not a good place to be. And I, and I hope uh, coming from, uh, you know, that angle, uh, I hope to do justice on both sides for both, you know, both of us in this of, of uh, not taking a side. I would really rather just let's dig through the facts. Let's figure out what, what things were, how things are supposed to be. And, uh, uh, and you know, we're going to make some people love us and I think we'll probably make some people hate us before it's over with, but we'll just, uh, we'll go from there. 
That does seem to be the trend. You mentioned several things. You mentioned listening uh, and how hard that is, it seems like, for us to do these days. You mentioned uh, stereotypes, uh, and I, I think of people getting pigeonholed into certain camps or, or, or ideologies. And you mentioned the polarization. And I think that's the thing that to me is, is so heartbreaking. I mean, gosh, there's been so much that's happened uh, in the last nine months and, and from the pandemic and the flu and, um, you know, the, the masks, the lockdowns, um, the, the, the election issues, it, it's just like everybody is so anxious to um, place somebody or they see them not wearing a mask. So they assume that they're they don't care about their neighbor or they see them wearing a mask in a car going down the road by themselves and they assume they're an idiot. Right. You know, and it just, it, isn't there probably more to the story? Right. Neither you know, of those are probably true. No, right. No. We, we've gotten so conditioned to just jump to conclusions and assume that that person uh, just is in this camp or uh, is different from me. And, and we just assume a lot about them. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's people that we know, and all of a sudden we begin to think about them differently. Um, and from a Christian point of view, that's, that's really disturbing. Um, the shame culture that is out there, um, and, and from one side of the perspective, maybe it's called the shame, shame culture. From another perspective, it's the cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. But it's like we're trying to – I think one of the things that disturbs me is – is seeing people trying to use either uh, social pressure or even the government itself to force others to do something that they want them to do that affects them in their minds somehow. Um, and maybe it's something that they could simply take care of with their own behavior or their own choices. You know, it, it kind of gets back to the whole concept of this in search of liberty. What, what is liberty and, and what does that mean? How, when does my liberty stop? And yours begin. Um, so I just, but you talked about listening. The last thought I want to want to make there is, I really, I hope what we can do, if if we can't do anything else, is encourage people to listen, to be willing to just hear what somebody else has to say, as as much as they think on the surface or at the beginning, there's nothing to hear. Just just listen, and 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 if you want to be heard, maybe you ought to start and be the one that reaches out to listen first. And, and that's, that's very true. And, and, you know, and listening doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with, or doesn't necessarily mean you're condoning. It just means that you're, you're listening, you're actually hearing, not, not necessarily coming up with the, the, the rebuttal, you know, to, to be able to smack them down because they're an idiot, you know, and that's, that's, <laughs> you know, and, and that's going back to what you were talking about with uh, the Liberty. Um, you know, it's kind of funny and I may be, I may be alone in this, but when you hear someone talking, using words like Liberty, and freedom and things like that. It, it's almost been um, co-opted by the, uh, in the, in the political spectrum, it comes out you know, as patriots. Patriots are always on the right, uh, on the, on the conservative side. And, and, you know, we can, we can argue, make an argument. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's where it sits. But the thing about Liberty is if you truly believe in Liberty, then it actually covers the entire spectrum. You know, you have the Liberty to do things and other people have Liberty to do things that, that you completely disagree with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the whole, the whole idea of, of the first amendment, especially with religious, uh, type, uh, beliefs and that kind of thing. I mean, there's religious beliefs out there that are completely opposite of, of anything I might believe. Uh, and I'm different than anybody else. And, you know, so that's, 
um, that's part of what makes this world great is I don't, I don't have to worry about is, is my wife covering her head properly because the government's out there going to get her uh, for you know, literally the religious police are out there uh, and going to make, make a problem out of it. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think Liberty is something that we, we take that word. It, it feels like it means something different now than it, than it used to. And it shouldn't, it should still mean exactly the same thing. I agree with that. So the other thing that I was thinking about too is <laughs> where do we start? You know, right now there seems to be so much anger um, in the country that, and, and that drives a lot of this behavior. People don't feel like there's anything they can do regardless of which side. And there, there's probably more than two sides to all of this, but regardless of where you stand, a lot of people are angry and they feel powerless to do anything about it. And that, that pent up frustration can be manipulated by people intentionally or not. Um, you know, and, and I, I want to say I'm worried about it, but you know, I'm concerned that there, there could be a boiling point um, where, and maybe that's what we saw a little bit yesterday. We, like you said, we won't know for a little while exactly what happened yesterday. Uh, I have my personal ideas about what happened. Um, but regardless of who those people were, did that, did that happen because they're just mean? Did it happen because they were angry and they just lost their composure in the heat of the moment? You know, maybe we'll find out. I hope we do, yeah. but that's the kind of stuff we don't want to have happen. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not helping you because you're not winning. It's kind of like arguing on Facebook. You're, you're never going to win somebody over in an argument. You're just going to make them mad and they're going to storm off. Or even if you win quote unquote, the argument, you know, you're still, uh, you're not changing anybody's mind, but you know, if you can have a conversation and figure things out and figure out, well, this is why I think the way I do, um, you know, I'm, I'll be the first to know that I'm, you know, raised in the Southeast, uh, have a very uh, conservative viewpoint of things. Uh, well, I say very conservative. It's not really very conservative. It's actually kind of uh, moderately conservative compared to some people. And, um, you know, and that's okay. Cause I know people who have different backgrounds and different, um, different uh, cultures that come from. I, I read a, a very interesting book one time. And if you've never read it, I, I highly recommend it called outliers by uh, Malcolm. His name will come to me in just a second. I started saying McDonald, but that's the actor. Uh, but anyway, he, um, <laughs> Um, Malcolm Gladwell is his name, has a series of books that's very good. But one thing that he talks about in, uh, in Outliers is he talks about the differences of culture in the United States. And, you know, culture has become this thing that's been co-opted as well um, to where people think, you know, we're, we're all the same and we're all one big homogenous country and we're supposed to do everything the same unless your skins are different colors. And really, there's nothing further from the truth. And uh, well, the thing that he actually proves, he actually he does a study, I think it came out of the University of uh, Michigan, and um, where they actually did some studies with the way people reacted to a, adversity and, and people being up in your face, if you will, and, and causing problems. And the people who reacted the most, um, uh, they were the most offended, I guess, if you will, by someone causing them a problem and getting in their face and being rude. Uh, the person that got the maddest about that were people from the South. And the people from the north, so people like from New York and that, those types of areas, just kind of laughed it off and there's no big deal in this experiment they did. But the people who were more from the south, southeast, um, took it personally. It was they, they, were, they were mad because someone had been rude to them. And this, so they started doing some digging into where this came from. It all has to do with where the people came from 
in out of Europe in what parts of Scotland and what parts of the and how those cultures work where there's an honor culture. Um, and we don't really have an honor culture here in the South anymore, but it definitely is something I take things more personally uh, in conflict than someone I know who might be from Michigan might take uh, take it. You know, they just kind of blow it off and we see them as you know rude and they're Yankees or whatever it may be. But they, they have a completely different upbringing, a completely different culture. Now, it doesn't that has nothing to do with my skin color, has nothing to do with my my upbringing in the sense of, you know, what religious upbringing I had or anything like that. It's simply the, the it's the culture around you. And that's something that I don't think we take enough. Um, we don't uh, take into account enough whenever we're having these conversations or when you're thinking about somebody else. You're like, how in the world could, you know, this state vote for that whack job, you know, and put them in? And, uh, you know, from either side, you know, how could how could the U.S. have elected Donald Trump as president four years ago? Or how could Nancy Pelosi keep her job in San Francisco? Well, it has everything to do with the people that are voting for them and why they're voting for them and where they come from and what their 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 problems are, what they think the, their representatives are going to to do for them. And, you know, that's right or wrong that there, there's a there's real there's real meat meat in that conversation that. We don't we don't seem to uh, it's like, you know, well, you're American, you should feel a certain way. Well, no, that's that's not the way it works. It's a long winded way of putting it. But that's you know, that is uh, there's so much to it about us trying to embrace our cultures uh, and know that, you know, just because you're from the south, it's not because you're some backwoods hillbilly that you feel a certain way. It's you literally have that in your in your DNA, if you will, of how you were brought up uh, versus somebody who who wasn't brought up in the same same way. So we're going to have different reactions because of it. You know, that's interesting, the, the idea of, of our cultures. Um, you know, I've given that some thought, not necessarily from that angle, but you were, that's pretty cool what you were sharing about uh, what Gladwell had to, to say in that study. But I have thought a lot about the cultural issues that we have going on in, in the country today. And, and I do think there's cultural regions, and the South is certainly one of them that has a, 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 a storied history. Um, and I don't know that I wouldn't disagree that, that we don't teach an honor culture here, but I, I think there's still a remnant of that. That's just kind of yes. inherent, you know, it's, it's kind of like things that were not necessarily taught from the pulpit when you're growing up, but you just kind of learn them. Yep. Uh, I think that's kind of the way it is. We just, you know, I see it in my sons, especially uh, probably shouldn't call them out, but I mean, they, they, when, when, when they were young, if they thought me or mom, you know, were getting disrespected. I mean, they, they were ready to just oh yeah go, you know take it out to the parking lot with somebody well i've 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 been i've been called down before by someone from out west for saying ma'am i would say yes ma'am or no ma'am and it was even to someone who was younger than me i mean some i was probably in my mid 40s and they were in their 30s and i said to them yes ma'am and they thought i was being smart you know they thought i was being hateful to them and i'm like no that's just you know where i come sorry but when i come from that's a that's a respectful term yes ma'am yes sir i'm not being it's not like yes ma'am you know i wasn't i wasn't being a jerk about it it was that's literally how how we do those things and uh you know and she was then like oh i'm sorry you know i thought you were really being you know snarky with me or something and it, it was just an interesting conversation because it, i never believed for a second that that would be uh, calling saying yes, ma'am, to someone would offend somebody. Um, so mm -hmm. I'll, make, I'll make a point to say it all the time to everybody now, but. No. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've got the regional cultures and I, I certainly, I've never been to the Northeast, but I've seen movies. <laughs> and you know, they're right. 
you know, and, and, and so I, I assume they have some sort of a culture up there that that's similar. Um, and I would say probably the Western states, you know, probably have a general culture and, and maybe the Pacific coast. I, I, I haven't even been to the Pacific coast, but one thing that I've noticed that's happening a lot in our lifetime, uh, I mean, certainly it started before we were born, but, but now with technology, with mobility, um, with transportation being what it is today, we take it for granted that we can just up and go to the coast, to the Florida, you know, to the beach, you know, go to the mountains, whatever. You went last year to Yellowstone to the, yeah. you know, the, the snowmobiling event, you know, and like, it's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, I know y'all, y'all had a great time, but you just fly out there and do it and fly home. But a hundred years ago, that would have been something only the, the uber wealthy could do. And so there's so much more access to us now. And so we don't, I just don't think we appreciate sometimes how easy it is for us to move about. But what I think is really changing at a, at a faster clip is people moving around the country. You know, I, 18 years ago, my wife and I moved two counties over. You would have thought you're an outlier coming to an end, trying to make the decision. Do we, do we move or do we not move? We, we literally made a list on notebook paper, two pages front and back of pros and cons of us staying in Summertown and moving to Fayetteville. And I'm sorry, Fayetteville. And <laughs> you're one of them now, you know, at, at the end of that exercise, you know, what we found is that we, we can't make this choice based on this list. You know, we had, we had to submit it, you know, to prayer, but, um, it was a big deal to us was the point to move two counties over. I, I know people now, and you do too, I'm sure they've lived in eight different States in their adult life in different regions of the country. Right. And so moving uh, a thousand miles away to a different, completely different part of the country for a better opportunity and a, and a, a job is, is no big deal to them. Uh, or it's not as big a deal to them as that was to me and my wife. So I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And, and we're seeing, seeing it on such a scale that it is, it is impacting the local cultures, whatever, whichever part of the country it is. Um, and I don't think we're, we've been prepared for that. I'm not saying that it's wrong that, that people are able to move around. I'm just saying it, it has a real impact. Well, and it's mixing up, the, mixing up the ingredients for sure. You know, we're absolutely, I think two years ago, the stats were for Nashville, a um, hundred people a day yeah. were moving in from out of state from all over. Um, you know, that can't happen without some sort of social impact exactly. and cultural, cultural impact. And, I mean, I just think we have to recognize it, that that's a reality. Uh, and maybe, gasp, we should step back and say, is there something we can do to compensate for that? Right. Exactly. Because when you take one area that has been aligned for the most part, uh, you know, ideologically, religiously, um, in every social way, and now all of a sudden there's a new ingredient um, there's got to be an adjustment period for that. And, and maybe they're diametrically opposed in some of their values. So I don't know. I, I don't have a solution today, Just, I, but I just think that's something we, we need to recognize that's happening. Oh, no, most definitely. And I don't know that there is a solution 
I don't know that there's a problem, <laughs> I guess, is the is the thing. Is that is that anything wrong with that? Maybe, maybe not. As long as we're taking the best out of those cultures, you know, um, and, and keeping the best out of the cultures rather than possibly, um, you know, taking the, the worst or whatever. Um, and because, you know, you have two cultures come together and you get the best out of it, you would think it would make it better, but that's not always the case. So, um, but, but that definitely has an impact on things like our elections um, and representation and, you know, how, who's voting, voting in for things and, and that kind of thing. So let me, let me, let me bring this around. So we understand now we've, I think we've, we've talked well about kind of the, the general feel of some of the stuff that we've seen going on uh, from a, I guess, a social aspect and why things can be the way they are so much deeper than what we could talk about in 20 minutes. Um, but I want to hit two points that I'd like, I think our listeners might be interested in. And some of this is going to be uh, recap and review, but um, from your civics, you know, classes you took in high school and some of you probably didn't have civics classes in high school. So you're going <laughs> to, there's a big difference. Um, and maybe this will be new to you, but I want to talk about two things. And for those who you don't know, I'm going to give a, uh, a quick plug for, uh, for Phil's uh book. He actually has uh, written a book called These United States, and it's the Founders Blueprint for Restoring America. And you can find that on Amazon. Uh, it's an excellent read. And um, again, it's These United States, the Founders Blueprint for Restoring America. And uh, the Phil's a bit of a historian and uh, has a passion about uh, reading about the foundation of our uh, nation, the founding of our nation, I should say, um, and where things came from. And, you know, it's kind of funny because Anytime you listen to someone who's who's trying to make a point uh, about the way we should be doing things in this country, everyone evokes Jefferson from either side. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they're what they're trying to, to argue. It's like you know, well, Jefferson said this, and then Jefferson said this over here. It's almost like someone arguing the Bible in some cases. It's taking things sometimes in context and sometimes out of context. But the two the two topics I want to hit on that are I think relevant today. Uh, and stealing one from your book and the other one I just want to do some explanation on is first, let's talk about the Electoral College a little bit, what it is, why it's a good idea. Uh, and I think you think it's a good idea. I know I do for several reasons. Um, to, there's a there's a huge misunderstanding of why it exists. There's a huge uh, push to try to get rid of it because why people think they, they they think that they know why they want to get rid of it. But I don't know that they truly understand what they're what they're asking for. If they do, then maybe, you know, again, maybe they disagree. And the other thing I'll talk about is the 17th amendment. I do want to go back and talk about that, which again, I'm taking a big swipe out of your book on that Favorite one. Topic. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I knew those were two were good ones and, and give it, we'll probably have time to do both. But so let's, let's start with this, the electoral college. So we just had this yesterday. This was actually what they were, the Senate was in the middle of whenever the, uh, the, the problem started happening and we started having people rushing into the into the Capitol and overrunning the uh, barriers and, and that kind of thing. And they had to stop it. And then they came back later in the night and they eventually did finish the job. And, um, you know, so the electoral college, let me give you the, the negatives, what people say and, and why people think it's a bad idea. So in 2000, you had Gore um, got ended up with more popular vote than Bush, um, George W. Bush. Um, and then again, in uh, 2016, you had, Hillary Clinton getting more popular vote than Donald Trump. So it feels like in this case, it, the Electoral College is definitely favoring the Republicans. And uh, because the two cases there that you have uh, now, the interesting thing is there's a lot more cases of this happening if you go back in, into our history. Um, but it just seems like, you know, the easy thing to do is a vote is a vote. If I vote for, you know, 
this person and you vote for somebody else and then, you know, somebody else votes for the, my person, then my person wins. I get one extra vote and you win. Why is the, give, put you on the spot here. Why is that a bad thing? Why, what, why is that a problem? Well, to quote Jefferson, <laughs> uh, I don't know if he really said this or not, but he, the old saying is democracy uh, is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for supper. And I think one of the things, you know, in the, in the Federalist Papers, in the debates of the Federal Convention uh, in 1787, there truly wasn't a whole lot of discussion about the Electoral College. They didn't give us a lot to go on as far as what were they really thinking? Uh, what was their express intent behind the Electoral College? But what, what I believe, based on, on what I've studied, is that it was part of the Great Compromise. And the Great, great Compromise was the fact that um, as these 13 young states were in union together under the Articles of Confederation, anything that was major took a unanimous vote of 13 states in the Congress, United States of Congress assembled, which was the one branch federal government. And it was causing a lot of frustration. And Rhode Island, quite frankly, was, was the problem. They, a lot of times they had 12 votes and Rhode Island stood in the way of, of doing something that would make it better for everybody. And it, it got to a point where, you know, something needed to be done. So they, they called a Congress. Uh, I, the first one was the Albany Congress. And I think only seven states were represented. They didn't feel like they had enough, um, you know, consensus of representation to, to make any decisions. So they asked for another, con another convention, another Congress, and they met uh, in, in Philadelphia. So, and, and Rhode Island didn't come. So <laughs> dang Rhode Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> and they were the smallest state then, I guess they're pretty much the smallest state now. Um, you know, but the concern, they were still concerned with, with Delaware. Uh, New Jersey was a relatively small state. Uh, at the time, uh, Connecticut was a relatively small state. So, and, and a couple of the Southern states were small in number, but they also anticipated that they were going to grow much faster. They had the land to expand into. People were still migrating over from Europe, you know, so they anticipated they were going to be a larger state at some point. And so it, it's really interesting. Man hasn't changed since the fall. Um, and if you go back and read this stuff, I mean, there was political maneuvering going on then as well as now. I mean, we hold those men in high regard and we ought to, but they were still men and they still, some of them were, uh, seemed to be reading between the lines motivated by things that were not so righteous, but you know, uh, others may be more, uh, more angelized for us. But regardless, um, the issue was the small states didn't want to be run over. And, and if they didn't have some way of, of defending themselves from a larger population, um, what, what were they to do? And so they were not going to unite under any scenario where they did not have an equal vote with every other state. Um, the larger states just thought that was unreasonable. Uh, we got lots more people. Why should you have the same voice that, that we have? And, and finally, you know, there was this discussion about sovereignty. And, and the small states were just adamant, we're not giving up our sovereignty to, to have you run over it. And they were willing to 
let these larger states go into a new union together and leave them out. Now, the, the risk to that was what if they align themselves with France or Great Britain uh, or Spain or some other European power, and now that influence is on the continent, and they didn't want that. So there was a lot of maneuvering that was going on. And you can understand both sides, right? You can understand the little guys wanting to not be vulnerable and, and the big guys having their, their, their fair say for their, for the representation or for the population that they had. So they went back and forth. And of course the great compromise was that the house would be uh, representing the, the people by, based on population and the Senate would be essentially, and they literally called it this in their, some of their correspondence and some of their discussion, they called it the house of States and they referred to the senators as ambassadors of the States. And that really gets to the crux of, of what this is all about. And I think one of the most underlying issues that, that is causing a lot of our problems today, the States are sovereign. They never relinquished their sovereignty. Um, they were in a union together that was voluntary and they voluntarily left that union, seceded, dare we say, and joined the new union, the one that, that exists today. Um, North, North Carolina and Rhode Island did not do that immediately. North, uh, Rhode Island waited three years. Uh, North Carolina voted it down. Rhode Island just didn't vote on it for three years. But North Carolina actually voted down the Constitution in 1788. A year later, after the uh, uh, Bill of Rights looked like it was going to come in, um, they had another convention and they reconsidered and they acceded to the Constitution. So my point in all that is, you know, at that time we had the Northeast um, and at that time they really called it the East in the Southern states. And then maybe you could make an argument for the middle states but there were major sections and they had different interests and then you had the large and the small. And so what they were trying to do, and they didn't expressly call it this, but John Calhoun talked about this in his papers in 1848. He called it the concurrent majority and that the concurrent majority is much more important than the numerical majority. The numerical majority is a democracy. It's two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for supper. And, and whoever is the majority gets the benefit from the honors and what they call the emoluments, the, the, the gravy train from the government, from the power of, of being able to control the government. So even though they didn't express it in those terms, I really believe that's what they were trying to accomplish ultimately in the convention was finding a way to build into the constitution for the concurrent majority to rule, not the numerical majority. And that is what I think the Electoral College is, was then and is now, is a, is a way to achieve the concurrent majority. You know, and, and I think, I think all the interests of the country. Exactly. And I think the, I think the, the key point that most people forget, and I, I'm, I, I say this kind of snarky a lot of times when I probably shouldn't, but, you know, in, in reality, the states elect presidents, uh, not people. Yes. And what I mean by that is, Sure, your your state has the ability to decide how they want to have elections and hold elections, but whenever they actually send their electors up, like they did yesterday, uh, and their votes to be to be cast and those kinds of things, um, that's that's the state doing that. And 
what, what I've always found interesting is we, we call, you know, go to other countries and they, they generally call them provinces or they call them, I don't know, whatever you want to call them. They call them, they don't call them states specifically. And when you hear the term state, you hear in, in global politics, you're talking about a country, you're talking about a nation. So when you have a state dinner at the White House, that means the president of France is coming over for dinner or, you know, the president of some any other country. But it means a, a leader of a country is coming and you're having a state dinner. And the reason that's that's important is because that's what our states were supposed to be. And uh, if I remember correctly, and, and I'm not near the, the historian you are about this stuff, but I remember uh, some of the things I've read about it. You know, Jefferson almost jumped ship on this whole thing several times because he was more concerned about his state of Virginia than he was about this union and, you know, giving up their power and those kinds of things. And I think that's, that's key. And, you know, you can say, yeah, that was 250 years ago. And, you know, you can make all kinds of excuses of why that was maybe not a, uh, things have changed now, but I really don't think they have. I really don't think that's, you know, the way we're doing things now has definitely caused us to kind of kneecap the States um, which leads us into the, the second thing I wanted to, to hit on um, is in the 17th Amen Amendment. And, um, you know, the, because we don't let the states operate as sovereign states and allow them to, uh, so that the entire idea, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the entire idea around uh, the way this is supposed to work is that you have a nation, which is a state, so the state of Tennessee or the state of New York or whoever it may, may be, they are a state. They have a legislative body that runs a state, a governor who is the executive officer of that state. And it is a country, if you want to think of it that way. And they agreed, OK, let's get together. And you know what? It makes sense for us to pool our resources for certain things. So when it comes to protecting us and keeping the, you know, the English and the French from trying to stomp on us again, uh, let's 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 band together and do that, you know, and let's band together and and, uh, you know, the treaties that we want to sign. We're going to try to do all that things together. And so there's some very specific things that were listed that we were getting together and unionizing. That's what it was, just like a union in a, in a company. You know, we were unionizing. At, at no point was the intent to hand over all of our rights, all of our power, I guess, if you say. Uh, really what has happened in, in, over the years is we have gone from being uh, nation states into becoming really big counties, you know, of, of that just kind of does the will of the federal government. So that's Jeffology 101, by the way. I think that's a great description of, of what was and, and where we are. Uh, and there was a, there's a terrible history in between the two and how we got to where we are, but absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, why we got together in the first place, you know, one of the things that Jeff, uh, George Washington said, uh, when he was uh, president and when he was was leaving, he 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 admonished everyone, you know, let's not get embroiled into the the petty wars of Europe. You know, Europe has always been a struggle and, and, and maybe it's just because that's the old world and and there's been such a population in, in such a relatively small area for so long and there's so much culture there. Um, that people just have a hard time, you know, getting along. But, but they had so many countries that were bordered right up against each other. They were always warring over something, uh, usually land um, and resources. And they saw in the early days of, of our history, we're across the, an entire ocean on a completely different continent. We have the opportunity 
to live in peace and not have those petty wars. And so what they were really concerned about when the Articles of Confederation weren't working out great, and they weren't an abject failure, but 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 they were seeing they were starting to see some petty issues. And they were terrified that we were going to fall into the same kind of warring that was going on in Europe. So they what their objective was was really three things, I think. One was they needed they wanted economic um, power, uh, you know, working together instead of just everybody kind of doing their own thing. They wanted military power to protect themselves from threats from the outside, from, you know, uh, uh, a Great Britain trying to er assert themselves again. And they wanted harmony among states that were geographically close to one another. So, you know, when you when you look at where we're at today and the disharmony that we have, we, we have to admit that the union is not very successful right now in its in its objective, uh, at least in that regard. Uh, economically, you know, you could argue we're doing pretty good from areas we could do better in. Militarily, it's hard to argue we didn't succeed with that element. But the harmony's gone. And so um, I was trying to, I lost my train of thought there, Jeff. Um, you were talking about... Uh, the 17th Amendment, right? Right. So, so one of the things that they that they wanted to do, obviously, was not lose that sovereignty. Many of the states weren't willing to give that up. So, the Senate, in that compromise, uh, was to be that House of States, those ambassadors of the states. And so, the, it was beautiful. And it's one of the things that I love the most when I read about the Constitution was what they set up originally. And it's it's terrible what's happened with the 17th Amendment. So the 17th Amendment changed the way that we elect our uh, senators from the state legislatures appointing them to us electing them popularly. And it sounds on the surface like that's a great idea. Well, that's more democratic, right? We get the vote for them directly. And, and the founders, I think, would argue that you don't want to do that. Uh, we've got that with the House of Representatives. Uh, why have two houses that effectually do the same thing. So the well, idea of let, me, let, me, let me interject there. That, that, that's something that probably took me the most by surprise. I'd gone through knowing, okay, you've got representatives. Uh, you, you elect them every two years. You've got senators. We elect those every six years. And, you know, you kind of look at them like the House of Commons and the House of Lords, and you kind of have, you know, an upper chamber and a lower chamber. And, you know, I, I knew all that growing up. It never occurred to me until started doing a little bit digging in, a little bit of digging into this stuff. It never occurred to me why those term limits were what our terms were what they are. You know, why do you want your house of representatives representatives every two years? Because originally that's the people we elected. That is the, that was our representation in Washington that we sent up there and we had direct control to it where the senators came from the States, you know, the mm -hmm. States ran those. And sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. But that, that when I finally put all that together, I'm like, Oh, you know, it's not just a matter of two almost identical type representation. Just one gets to sit out there for three times as long as the other one. So uh, that, yeah, that was shocking. I have to make this, this comparison because it's not exactly the same thing, but it's very, very similar. If you think about the European Union, you know, Great Britain, remember Brexit? You know, yep. Great Britain voted to leave the European Union. Uh, and I think there's a process to that that was actually laid out because they had no sense to to foresee that somebody not going to leave. And they laid out a process for that. And so they're they're still in that process, as I understand it. 
but they chose to leave the union. But, but while they were in the European union and all those states that are still in that union, they have representation into their grand parliament, whatever they call it. Um, and so they are represented in that federal government in the European union as states. Well, that's exactly what the Senate was designed to be. And the governments of the states, selected those senators to go there and represent the interests of the state. And the whole idea was for them to be able to guard the interest of the states against the, the federal government grabbing too much power. It was one of the major checks and balances in keeping the system whole. And, and you mentioned my book and thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I referenced that in the book that it was a, it was a system of governments. It's not a hierarchy of governments. It's not federal state and local. It is state and local because the locals are a subdivision of our state government, but the state governments and the federal governments are co-equal and one is not above the other. They have different scopes of powers and those powers come from exactly the same source, the people of the states. And this is a critical point, Jeff. There has never been an act, a, an act of sovereignty by the people of America, not one ever because those people don't exist as an organized entity. The people of America have only ever been organized as states. And I'm not talking about the state government. I'm talking about the people as a society. Right. There's 50 societies, 50 nations. Those 50 nations have a state government and they all joined a federal union. And if I can go one more step, we're not a nation. We're a federation and there's a big difference. As you always say, words mean things. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's something, uh, that's probably a good place for us to try to try to wrap this one up. Um, uh, that, but that's something I want to dig into in, in a future uh, conversation is um, the difference in, in that, the fact that we are uh, uh, the, the nation federation, the fact that um, we, we're dealing with a situation like with the 17th Amendment, for example, the, the 17th Amendment, if you go back and read, was a very progressive push. It was a progressive side of you know, left leaning, if you will, at the time, uh, push to make that happen. And the idea, like you said, it sounded really, really good in the fact that, oh, it's more democratic because now I get to vote for more people that represent me. The problem is we were putting our faith and representation in the wrong places. And we were we were taking away some of that that control that we had as a state over our federal government. And it, it played right into the hands. I don't know that anyone at that time knew how it was going to eventually turn out a hundred years later, but it's turned out pretty, pretty crappy. <laughs> so it's not, it's well, not, working, it's not working the way it's supposed to at all. Well, it's, it's broken. And that's, that's one of the main points that I make early in the book is that when we see things not going well in the country, when we have a sense that something is off, something is wrong, there's a good reason that we feel that way. And it's because the system is literally broken. The 17th Amendment broke it and it can't operate the way that it was supposed to until we restore that aspect of it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I've just sat here and made a, made a list of several things that we do need to talk about. And I had some from before. So, you know, uh, going forward, I hope you, uh, you listeners have, have made it this far and have listened. I know we've, we've been going uh, almost an hour, but uh, this is... <laughs> This is the way Phil and I uh, go back and forth often. And we just thought, you know, hey, it might be a good idea. Why don't we start recording these things? And, uh, you know, it's just two guys talking. Maybe that's a good name for it. But um, and that's really what it is. And it's more about learning. And I, and I don't want anyone to think that we're 
necessarily wanting to turn around and make it 17, you know, 90 again. Um, that's not necessarily the way it's supposed to work. In fact, it's not the way it's supposed to work. The Constitution has a method to amend itself. So anything we want to do can be done. Um, you know, I've, I jokingly said, in fact, we talked about this the other day, I jokingly say all the time, if we want to put in the Constitution that everybody gets a free monkey, we can do that and everybody will get a free monkey. And that's the way it works. But we, we do so much in our country now that is not we're not doing it the right way. But it seems good because we're we're usually paying people to do it. You know, it's here's your here's your six hundred dollars or here's your two thousand dollars and just go over there and be quiet. And, you know, that's going to help ease your pain. The fact that you haven't had a job for the last nine months. I don't know how that's supposed to work. But um, all that being said, there's a lot of things like that we want to talk about. And, uh, you know, Second Amendment would be definitely one of them. That's a hot button topic and would really like to get into what that means and what it, what's really about. Again, we could change it. You know, if the Second Amendment needs to be changed and people are uh, so strongly against uh, the way it's stated today, we can change it. But we need to change it. We don't need to just ignore it and make laws around it that that uh, that cause problems down the road like we've seen. Things like taxation. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that great point, because that was actually in George Washington's farewell address. He, he addressed that specifically. He said, if we find that our new constitution is remiss in some regard, let us fix it the right way by amending it, not by usurping authority. See? Even though it might be used for good, it is it is the customary means by which tyrants take control. That's and that, see, look, me and me and George Washington, we're buds. You know, we, <laughs> I, knew, I knew I liked him. Um, but yeah, there are just several, several, several good topics that we can get into. And, and like I said, uh, Phil and I, we do this quite often. And I am going to slip up and call him Q for this over with because that's, that's <laughs> been his nickname for our entire lives together. Uh, so I, I guess we can we can wrap this one up. Uh, uh, Phil, you got anything else to? You know, I've enjoyed it. I, I hope the listeners enjoy it. And, and what I what I hope is that we can help um, just with the frame of thought. I mean, not that not that we're sitting on some pedestal with, with special knowledge, but um, I just I hope people can listen yeah. a little bit more, not to us, but to each other. Um, and I know that that'll be a continuing theme throughout our discussions as we talk about government and constitutions and society. Um, all of it is for naught if we can't find peace and harmony. Yeah. And, you know, going forward as, as we're, we're doing more of these, uh, and I hope we, we continue doing them for a while. And if we start doing that, then, you know, I would, I would really look forward to finding someone with completely opposite viewpoints on some of these things that's willing to have this course in the dialogue. Um, Absolutely. you know, right now it's hard to find those people on either side. You know, if you and I have a very similar take on things and have a lot of the same beliefs, um, so it's real easy for me and you to get together and talk. I would love to have somebody who, who firmly believes the second amendment should be repealed. Let's, let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about why, why, why you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> why, why that, why, why we would want that and, and, and try to, to flesh that out. Uh, it just makes me, me stronger in my beliefs. It makes me stronger in understanding what I understand and helps me understand the holes in my, in my logic. And that's, that's, that's the way I, the way I do things. If you're anybody, Anybody follows me on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, you, you should see that's generally the way I operate. It's not a, it's not a fight for me. I'm, I know you're not going to win on any of those things, but I am going to stop and say, hey, but wait a minute, you know, let's have that conversation. So uh, I, I've kind of taken it over here, but I just I appreciate everybody listening in. And uh, if you made it this far, good job. Uh, and uh, definitely, you know, share, share the word, and let everyone know that what we're trying to do here and we'll, uh, we'll try to continue it as long as we have a, uh, an audience of more than two people. 
which include me and you. And I'll add this, you know, it, there's a way on, on our anchor podcast for you to uh, submit questions. If you guys have uh, something that you'd like us to delve into or a question you'd like us to, to consider, um, by all means, you know, just drop us a line, let us know what you've got in mind and, and we'll touch on it. Fantastic. All right. Appreciate you listening. All right. Thanks guys. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support what we're doing, please consider a monthly donation of as little as 99 cents per month for subscriber donations. Visit our podcast homepage at anchor.fm slash in search of liberty and click the support button. We would really appreciate your gift of support. Another way you can support this podcast is to pick up a copy of the book, These United States, Volume 1, The Founder's Blueprint for Restoring America. The book is available in print at all major online retailers and is also in Kindle edition at Amazon. Go to Amazon.com and search for The Founder's Blueprint, and it should be in the first page of results. Or go to the In Search of Liberty website and click the link in the sidebar for the book. Or, for discounted bulk orders of five copies or more, go to www.theseunitedstatesbook.com. Volume 2 in the series will be out later this year. It's a little bit behind schedule, but hopefully worth the wait. The title will be The Restoration Amendments. And we will share more about that as the publication date draws closer.